As two pioneers are crossing the plains, the resources in each of their wagons will change by what's been used, what the, um, the rats ate overnight, uh, whether or not we found a buffalo along the way. So there's going to be resources coming in and out. And so what one person's able to do for another person can change in a 24-hour cycle. And so when you go to your neighbor and you say, um, I really need this. We need this. Our circumstances need this. Now, one of the most important lessons to be learned from the pioneer history is God allowed needs to go unmet. And so can you imagine how horrifying that must have been a few times when um, we hear children crying in the morning and it's breakfast time and you go to your, your wagon and there's not enough and you go to your spouse's wagon and there's not enough there either. And you got to go to your kids and say, we need more food, but we don't have it. See, this is where people have this abundance problem where we assume that if it's not in my wagon, it is in your wagon. So I just have to tell you I need it. Therefore, we're going to have it and there will be no needs anymore. The pioneers showed us that life will have needs that are unmet. Brigham Young prophesied that one of the most dangerous things that's going to happen in the Utah Mormon culture is that we will prosper. And one of the side effects of prosperity is a lack of familiarity with unmet needs. And so we have everyone walking around expecting needs to be completely met. Therefore, we can have a completely enriched feeling through the day. And so I want to share my grieving with you anytime you're experiencing a legitimate unmet need and you go to your neighbor or loved one. And it's not in their wagon either. Please be compassionate with each other as the mothers and fathers must have been on the pioneer trail. Can you imagine how scary that would be to not have enough food to feed your kids and just watch and listening to them cry? It's one thing when you got a teenager, you have to smack them on the back of the head and get over it. It's another thing when you've got a three-year-old that's crying and you can't explain why you can't feed them. When our brains get hungry and thirsty, they start acting like three-year-olds, okay? When we get panicky, we can start acting very young and we can get tantrum-y and we can get agitated. You really got to watch yourself to make sure that you're not dumping your needs on another human who has already depleted themselves. All right, let's step into this. We have some true principles found in the scriptures. I found in 2 Nephi 4. O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh. This is Nephi after they get to the new land, and he's had plenty of experience with at least not trusting his older brothers. Okay, that's not something you can invest money in. I'm sure his father, I think, I don't know if his father had just died or was about to die at this time, so he was no longer a resource. I know that cursed is he that putteth his trust in the arm of flesh. Now, I don't know exactly what the word cursed means in this case, but what I do know as a social psychologist is you might as well tie your hands behind your back and fall towards the ground face first when you trust other people, because the cursed means you're probably going to get hurt worse if you were hoping a human was going to save you. Now, granted, they might. And it's a nice experience when you're the giver, like someone comes to me and says, do you have a loaf of bread? And I say, yeah, I got two. I'll share it with you. How nice. I get to share. You get to feed your kids. What a lovely day. I totally love sharing. But if someone comes to me and starts breaking my wagon because I don't have any bread for them to share with their kids, that's not cool. 
Okay, now I'm hurt and they're hurt worse. A conference talk from 2010. I didn't write down the speaker. It's easy to get caught in the trap of looking to the arm of flesh for advice on everything from how to raise children to how to find happiness. Um, while some information has merit, as members of the church, we have access to the source of pure truth, even God himself. We would do well to search out answers to our problems and questions by investigating what the Lord has revealed through his prophets. And with the same technology today, we have at our fingertips access to the words of the prophets. So as I've done my work, I use a lot of my research of human philosophies to stimulate my thoughts, but don't ever let a human be the final decision maker. One of the early books that I studied was um, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, John Gray. Beautiful, thought-stimulating book that has many false principles in it, but it also has many true principles. So I had to bring two colored markers with me all the time. One where a single sentence was in harmony with eternal principles and the next sentence wasn't. The next sentence is, the next isn't, wasn't. I find it very difficult to read self-help books written by humans because I got to highlight this and delete that and highlight this, delete that. But many of my favorite ideas came stimulated from a well-meaning author like that. So I don't tell people not to listen to them. Just keep in mind that you have to run it past God before you lock in on. Go ahead, please. One or two or three. <laughs> please. We'd love to hear all of your thoughts. I'll hold a few back. You know, back in um, 2007, I went to the hospital for suicide and all that kind of fun stuff. And it kind of changed my life to a certain significant degree with addictions and other things going on in my life. And just, you know, bad life at that point. <clears throat> when I walked out of that uh, hospital, it was pretty amazing to me how beautiful the sky was. And I mean, you know, the world just looked beautiful at that point. And it was at that point in time that I pretty much got into my prayers and basically said, God, you need to help me figure this out because I am um, <laughs> totally lost, you know, type of deal. And I, um, I'm not sure if it was my inadequacy in understanding the scriptures or all this other fun stuff, but it was pretty much an answer to prayers when, you know, I says, and I, I, I think I asked for this. I said, you need to help me find the answers, whether they're in this or that or whatever it may be. But then it was like I was brought to a, a um, therapist, psychologist. I'm not even sure what she calls herself, but it, she basically looked at my whole being and seeing, instead of being a psychologist, said, you just got a mental problem. We need to solve that. And at that point in time, she led me to things that were helping me with my chemical issues, my imbalance. And, and you know, there was just... It was just so nice to jump into her pocket to be able to help me look at my whole being with my body and my mind and my spirit and these different things that she helped me basically kind of in a direction that was helping me to just to heal and to basically come back. And from that point on, it's been to a position where I say, well, okay, God, I'm, I'm now at a position where I need to find something new and help to get the answers to these questions and these problems that I have now. And a lot of the great majority, like you were saying, that there were some things in there that helped trigger those things that helped inspire the next thing. And so it's been interesting to me. It's been I've been finding tons of answers through people, but it's been interesting how as I'm reading my scriptures on a regular basis and trying to understand things that 
those sayings that they're having and they're giving me are starting to come to a bigger picture of understanding because of the connection that I'm trying to make with God in the same process. So I think people are a huge part of it because there's a lot of knowledge and we're in the information age, if you think about it, (laughs) but discerning what's good and what's bad is where I'm kind of at the point now of just trying to understand what is the truth and what isn't and trying to help that all come together. But I really appreciate that thought in regards to, you know, in the beginning I was depending on the arm of flesh and I was saying, you know, find me somebody that can help me. But in the process of reading my scriptures and everything else, I've come and even more now with your program, with, you know, the difference between devil and God, it's helped me even discern that even that much better. And I appreciate it. Wonderful. Thank you. I do believe that psychologically, it is the expectation on us to contribute to each other's lives at a maximum level. I think about how the law of consecration was supposed to have worked back in the day, where everybody did the best they could to bring something to the bishop's storehouse. And if it was done correctly, you might only just bring a 10 more carrots than you need that week from your vegetable garden or you ch- had the energy to chop up seven pieces of wood more than you needed for yourself that day. And so you just brought a little extra and you brought a little extra, but you needed more of this and more of that. And so this is my understanding of how we're supposed to use each other psychologically as well, whether it's a husband and a wife or a, a team. But sometimes the textbooks imply that you're supposed to go to the storehouse and receive more than you bring in. And then you become dependent on it. That's why the Bishop storehouse in the consecration attempt back in Joe Smith's days didn't work is because they never understood you're supposed to put more in than you take out. Even if it's just one thing, like all I have is carrots. It just doesn't seem like I'm helping everybody out when all I do is bring extra carrots every time. Well, you bring in a whole bag of carrots and 10 families pull a little bit out. So you're not feeding one family a bunch of extra carrots. They spread that out. And that's really beneficial to an entire community. And then someone else brings a little bit extra. And so that's how they would fill the storehouse. Think about this with respect to as you attempt to give, sometimes we don't value what we give because we just keep giving the same thing. And it's really not that big of a deal. And you know, I'm just good at one thing. I'm not really that good at a lot of things. Well, that's okay. Just imagine carrots. All right. Bring your surplus, put it where people can find it. And then others will bring their surplus. And that's when we start to really feed each other in a massive way where everyone's overfed. I mean, if you look at the history of the Mormon culture, the reason we're so prosperous is that attempt at consecration mentality. We may not do it perfectly, But because everyone keeps trying to give a little more and give a little more and give a little more, it creates this beautiful culture. So, but we're still told to have self-reliance so that we don't rely on it. Okay. We use it powerfully, but we don't rely on it. 